Amen, amen, amen. You now may be seated. Uh, thank you, Joel, for the public reading of God's word. Uh, I want to thank our worship team. We've got a world-class worship team. Thank you for leading us into the presence of God. Uh, I hope you're excited to be here today. No? Come on. All right. We are excited to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about Jesus, truth, and lies, and purpose. Jesus, truth, lies, and purpose. Before I get into the message, turn to your neighbor and say, I told you the Rams were going to win. <clears throat> Some of you are like, huh? I, didn't, I, I don't know what I said last week. So how many of you have been here over the last few weeks? We've been talking about Jesus and freedom and grace and spirituality and love over shame. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus and truth. And I want to begin with John chapter 18. Everyone say John chapter 18. I want to begin with Pilate's question. He goes, what is truth? So I'm going to do my very best as your pastor to in probably six minutes nerd out on you with a little bit of philosophy in trying to figure, okay, what as Christians uh, how can we see, in other words, how can we see truth uh, in, in our day? So can you give me about six minutes to nerd out a little bit on that? And then, um, then we'll spend about, uh, about three hours on theology, and then we'll get into the prayer side. Uh, interesting story, and I've shared the story before. A couple, couple years ago, I went downtown, went to a grocery store, and uh, I'm, I'm being checked out. So the checkout guy, everyone say the checkout guy. So the checkout guy is a lot of food, and there were some people behind me, and uh, he was a really nice guy. So he's checking me out and he looked at me and he asked me, uh, the question. He goes, so what do you do with, uh, what do you do with your life or something? What do you do for a living or whatever? And I told him, well, uh, I'm a pastor. And he looked at me like I was a Neanderthal. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, no, no word of a lie to this. He looked at me as if I like was telling him the story that I got abducted by aliens and how I finally got rescued. And I mean, he just gave me that look. And again, no word of the lie, he responded to me and he goes, I didn't even know you guys existed anymore. And I'm like, oh my, I, I probably should go back to my church, this is what I'm thinking, and talk about evangelism. Uh, so we had about a 30 minute, uh, 30 minute, a 30 second conversation about Jesus, truth. And uh, we, you know, we had a, a really good conversation. Again, a really good guy trying to figure things out. And I was, I was talking about Jesus kind of quickly, my story. And as trying to get as much in as I hear the beep, 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 you know. And so finally he says, you know what, that's great, but that's just not my truth. Have you ever heard that before? He goes, that's just not my truth, and that's great. I don't mean to be offensive, but this is what I believe. He was in, like, some folk nature religion stuff, and he was a hiker and wore spandex, okay? And, you know, drove a Subaru. So if that's you, God bless you, all right? <laughs> wow, you guys. You guys. So here's the question. When we talk about truth, what are we talking about? When we think about truth, what should we think about? There are many people here today, or maybe a lot of people in our world, think of truth as cold, hard facts, right? An indifferent reality that might obliterate us, like it's an algorithm, 
Like it's, it's like neutral, doesn't really care about us, is distant. Or if, if not, many of us think that it's something that will bludgeon us. It's like cold and it's hard and it's the facts. It's the naked truth, right? It's Jack Nicholson's Nicholson character. Like you can't handle the truth, right? What, what is he implying? Well, the truth is, is hard. It's harsh. I think a lot of people feel this way about truth. And I think this is why quite a few people in our therapeutic age have backed away from truth claims because we don't want to offend anyone. Because of course, Jesus wouldn't want to offend anybody. Right? Like, no, he would, he would never go to his like, top disciple and say, get behind me, Satan. No. He would never go to a temple and overthrow um, tables. Right? And throw everyone out as a, as a show of a symbolic a gesture. Right? Jesus would never do anything like that. Well, of course, we know Jesus at times offended people. Like if, 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 if I called you all the devil today, all of you would probably leave. You know? But Jesus went around at, at times calling people Hasatan, the Satan. So um, what, what I'm not suggesting here really quick when it comes to truth that as Christians, we should offend people for the sake of offending people. Can I get an amen to that? Because some of you are thinking, well, Jesus offended people, so I can be a part of this outrage industrial complex thing. So I can go on Facebook today and I can start typing out stuff that I wanted to say to everybody that I wanted to say, right? And I want to offend everybody. No, that's not what, that's not what I'm suggesting. But there are times because of truth that it certainly can be offensive. But a lot of people backed away from truth claims because of our therapeutic age and because of our desire to not offend anyone. But I think... For the vast majority of people, and again, this is where I'm going to nerd out just a little bit, uh, many people are like the guy, the checkout guy, when it comes to truth. Basically, uh, we all just work from the assumption that we can what? We can make our own truth. Richard Middleton, he's a scholar, he describes the challenge of truth in our world or truth claims in our world. And he says this, truth is seen as a socially constructed character of reality. So that means that big stories, everyone said big stories? Big stories are self-serving lies. Have you heard that on social media? No, none of you have? Okay. But that's where, that's where many people are at. Big story. If you say, if you have a big truth claim, a meta-narrative, if you say something big that's comprehensive, that explains kind of the world, uh, basically that's a mask for power. You just want power. Right? You just, your narrative is just an attempt to uh, persuade people because you're just power hungry. So if a politician, if a professor, if a philosopher, if a preacher man, an activist, a mom, whatever, gets up and, and offers a big truth claim, they're essentially lying to you. However, the claim, and I, wanna, I don't want to get into this, however, the, the big claim or the claim that big stories are self-serving lies is also a big story that is filled with self-serving lies. You know what I'm saying? There's a circular logic to it. The statement that there's no big stories, right, is a statement about there is a big story, that there are no big stories. And so we kind of go around and around and around. And so we cut, the, we cut off the branch that we're sitting on philosophically. And that's beside the point. The point is, is that many people feel like that truth is something that we socially construct. So this is where we come to Pilate. So Pilate said, what is truth? So we have this in John 18, we have this tete-a-tete between Jesus and Pilate. They're having this conversation about the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I've come to bear witness to the what? To the truth. Everyone say truth. I've come to bear witness to the truth. And then Pilate sneers. This is how I imagine the, the text. He sneers and says, what is truth? So here's the thing. 
Pilate is not accommodating Jesus because he's simply fascinated with, uh, you know, Jesus is a miracle worker and he's a revolutionary figure. And so I, I need to like check out this guy. No, Pilate is a cynical politician who intends or is more interested, I'll say it this way, is more interested in his own power. So when he says what is truth, he's saying in a very cynical, sneering, um, satirical way. So for, for Pilate, you construct your truth and your truth for Pilate is something you do through the force of power. And this is where we have a conflict with Christianity and with culture. The whole point, I'll say this, the whole point of Christianity is that it is the story of the whole world and it claims to be the public truth. It claims, please hear me. It claims to be the public truth, not a private self-serving thing. Can I get an amen? It's a public truth that is comprehensive and affects all of us. So what is truth? I could have talked a lot more about that, but I'm just going to move into what is truth. So we gave you a sampling of passages out of the book of John. First, this is what I want to say. John uses truth, true, no less than 64 times in our English translation. The primary Greek word for truth that John uses means that which corresponds to reality. Jesus, John tells us, uses truly, truly. Everyone say truly, truly. Truly, truly, no less than 26 times. That's a lot, right? Truly, truly in the Greek is the word amen, amen. So he's amen, amen, which is an emphatic word, which means most certainly. So Jesus emphasizes truth. John emphasizes truth, true, which simply means to correspond with reality. So truth, according to John, is all that is real. Everyone say real. Are you following me? So John assumes that truth is a public reality that is not socially constructed, that possesses formative power to transform us. Truth is outside of us. It is a norming norm. It is not something that you can subjectively come to. It's not something that you can make. Can I get an amen? Some of you are like, ah, I don't know, Chris. No, but truth is something that is rooted in, and we'll find this out in uh, John, in King Jesus. The Gospel of John, and I'm just going to give you just a little backdrop of uh, the passages that we read. The Gospel of John is written by a disciple who loves Jesus. Jesus is to be believed, trusted, obeyed, and worshipped. We are called to trust Jesus and his vision of reality, uh, his vision of sexuality, his vision of marriage and relationships and money. Jesus, we're, we're called to trust his world level or world assumptions. Uh, or worldview assumptions about all that is true and beautiful and good and just. That is what we're called to as Christians. Can I get an amen to that? He is, he is, John tells us, the truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus has a conversation with Thomas and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth, the way, the life. He lays his life down for his friends. This is the truth that rules the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the true vine. He is the door between our world and new creation. In other words, Jesus is not merely one option on a religious smorgasbord, according to one author, of religious figures. He is utterly unique. He is utterly unprecedented. He is cosmically singular. No? 
First service gave me a lot more love than you. He's not a proto-Marxist pagan figure. That's a New Yorker. He's not a Bible-thumping gun owner. That's a Texan. Come on, somebody. He's not a hyper-capitalist, right? That wants to run the world, right? So many times we domesticate Jesus based on our subjective portraits that we draw of him. Jesus is, I'm I'm not here to offend anyone. Yeah, I'm here to offend some people here today. Jesus is far more than our domesticated portraits of what, he th- of what we think he should be. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is ruler over all things. Cosmically singular. So John, or the Johannan passages that we read, calls us to be people of truth calls us to give our lives to the exclusive claims of Jesus. And I know that's hard for us to swallow. I get it. I get it. We live in a pluralistic society that just doesn't believe any of this stuff. But we are called by the New Testament to give our lives, to surrender our lives to the exclusive claims of Jesus in his radical welcome for all people. Jesus, as John tells us, is the truth of the gracious God. Please hear me. The gracious God who became flesh. We find this in John chapter one in his prologue. Who died for the sins of the world. We find this in John chapter 19 verse 20. Who bodily came back from the dead. We find this in chapter 20 and 21. Uh, Who poured out his spirit. We find this in John chapter 20 on his people. And then he formed the church. Truth, in other words, is reality, but it's a specific kind of reality. It is unique, concrete, personal reality embodied in Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 16, basically, and this is my paraphrase, says, when we see Jesus, we discover who God is. Thus, we discover what reality is like. And can I get an amen? Amen. But here's the thing, what, why do we need to hear like stuff about this, about truth, right? Why do we talk about it? Why does John emphasize it so much in his gospel? Why does the New Testament emphasize it so much? Why can't we just kind of just maybe talk a little bit about it and then talk about other stuff? Well, um, ultimately, uh, truth shapes everything you do. And when it comes to this life, I'm going to, so this is like an honest moment here. The reason why we need, need truth is because this life cannot give you everything you long for. And I'm going to explain this. This life that we live, according to one author, is always somewhat frustrating. The life that we, we live is a life where we have unfulfilled desires and disease and many of us feel out of rhythm and restless. I'm going to call it many of us because of the results uh, or consequences of sin, we are out of sync with life itself. We're out of sync with meaning. We're out of sync with identity. We're out of sync with our dreams. We're out of sync with the relationships, with sex, with marriage, with family, with our longings and our desires. Have you ever been to a party where everyone is just like shouting, celebrating, and you felt alone? You're out of sync. Like it's, it's a cowboy fan at the Super Bowl party, right? We always feel alone. But on a serious note, have you ever been to church and everyone's raising their hands and they're doing the Pentecostal two-step, whatever, whatever in the heck that means, right? Everybody's happy. 
yet deep down inside you're unhappy? Only five of you? Some of you are wrestling with big questions and it seems like everyone around you perfectly knows all the answers and they just have the beautiful life and they experience no trouble and no suffering. Ever make those assumptions? Well, let me just, here's the good news. That is false. <laughs> we all are unhappy every now and then. This morning when I came to church, I was profoundly unhappy, right? I didn't get any sleep. And to be honest, I didn't even want to be here this morning, but I love you. So I came here, okay? To be with you guys. But here's the thing. And if that's you today, you feel profoundly unhappy. The good news is, is that God's truth can erode the fabric of your unhappiness and fill you with the life that you long for. Ignatius of Loyola, he's an, old, he's an old school guy. He's as orthodox as they come. He said this. He defines this out of seekness that we all, everyone in this room feels this way. Sometimes we feel this in our marriage. Sometimes we're like, our spouse is crazy. We're like, uh, or our kids are crazy. Or my, my boss is crazy. Whatever. That out of seekness, uh, as Ignatius of Loyola defines it, is really an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for you and I is only our deepest happiness. What is that? Well, that's just simply an unwillingness to believe the truth. The truth of a gracious God who became flesh, we call this sarks, right? Became part of this suffering world, became DNA and skin and took on our problems. And then he died for our sins. Come on, somebody. Who is our shepherd and leads us through life and is present, a very present help in time of trouble. It is our failure to believe that truth that leads us into a deep sense of unhappiness or despair. So how do we become people of truth? How do we become people of truth? How do we live from truth? I could have spent four hours just kind of unpacking that, but I wanted to bless you today, okay? How do we become people of truth? John chapter eight tells us, and I want to give you three non-negotiables for becoming people that are truth people. And then I want to give you one consequence or one result of being in God's truth. John 8, 31 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Everyone say truly. And then there's in this kind of little conversation with these debate partners uh, that Jesus had, it turns into a mob. And so now a mob is kind of accusing Jesus of several things. And we'll pick it up here. Jesus then said to this particular mob in John chapter eight, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are your father, the devil. Wow. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So Jesus, and in his conversation with his mob, sets out the terms for what is wrong with this world. This world is under the influence of the father of lies. Revelation chapter 12, verse nine says that the dragon or the devil is the deceiver of all the nations. So number one, Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, we are living in a world 
of lies, influenced by a pathological spiritual being. We do not live in a world that is morally neutral. Can I get an amen? I know some of you think I'm a Neanderthal. Some of you are like, what are we even talking about a spiritual being called Hasatan, the Satan, right? Well, I'm saying it because Jesus said it. So I, I just, I I don't, ah, Jesus said it, right? So I trust his vision of reality in the cosmos. By his cosmological take, I'm going to take over our modern cosmological take. Can I get an amen? amen? So that's number one. We're living in a world filled with lies, influenced by a pathological a spiritual being called Hasatan. Um, number two, we have a challenge then. And our challenge today is for everyone. Because we live in a world filled with lies, if we're not careful, we all will believe some lies about God, about ourselves, our future, our past, our present, our spouse, our children, that person sitting in the corner of the church, our sexuality, our politics. I could go on and on and on. In fact, I'm going I'm to make the stronger case. Everyone in this room has at least one lie that you believe in. And I am being so generous with you. So generous. Right? We all believe in some lies. We do. Can I get an amen to that? I do as, as well. Uh, we're, we're defined in many ways by the lies that we tell ourselves. I say this all the time. What, is it, what does it feel like to believe a lie? Well, it feels like the absolute truth. Emotionally, intellectually, there's a coherent narrative to the lie that you're believing this is why it's so important that we become people of truth. It's because lies are not, and I've said this so many times before, lies are not like just the devil coming to you and say, hey, I'm the devil, okay? I look, you know, I look this way because, you know, whatever. He knocks on the door, introduces himself and says, I'm now lying to you. Right? Lies don't function like that. Lies are subtle. And they come to us uh, in ways that are insidious. Uh, in, in our generation, there are many Many minds of so many people that are graffitied with tragic portraits of God. And I think many of our lies, whether it's lies about ourselves, lies about our body, lies about our personality, lies about our future, lies about our talent, lies, 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 just about in general, you can trace them back to our tragic portraits of who God is. Trace it all, all the way back to God and his graciousness or lack of graciousness. Number three, the extent, and I've said this so many times before, but the extent that we believe a lie, and Jesus is saying this in John 8, is the extent that we become enslaved to the inferior. The extent that we believe a lie is the extent that we are enslaved to the inferior. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. So truth will lead you into freedom. Truth will lead you into life. Truth sets you free. Lies lead you into what? Non-freedom. Lies lead you into misshapen desires that take you away from the purpose of God. So then what does Jesus tell us that we need to do? So what's the one non-negotiable truth for being people of truth? Let me just say this really quick. It's not the internet. I'm not trying to make any political points here, but it's not Snopes.com. Some of you have no idea what that is. Right? The, let me, I'll say it this way. The arbiter of truth is not MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, Joe Rogan, your podcast, 
these fact checker agencies, I'm not saying anything negative about it. You can listen to them as much as you want, but I just want to qualify by saying they're not the arbiter of truth. Like, and I could, you know, maybe some of you are like, well, Chris, are you being political? No, I'm not being political. I'm just being anthropological. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we as humans see in part. Right? So by definition, we don't see the whole picture. And anyone who claims that they have a monopoly on truth, whether it's a political party or whatever, if you're a liberal, if you're a, a Republican or whatever, I've offended everybody here already, Right? Anybody who claims the monopoly of truth, they are lying to you. The only one who can claim absolute understanding of the universe and you and your life and your soul and your thoughts and your personhood and your kids, the one who sees you and knows you, the good shepherd of your soul, the only one who can arbitrate truth over you, his name is Jesus. So as an aside, does this mean we can't listen to any of that stuff? No, 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 no. You can listen to that stuff. That's great. But here's the thing. I think we get things inverted. Some of you are listening to Joe Rogan more than you're listening to Jesus. Oh, you, some of you didn't like that. So I'm going to, okay. Some of you are listening to Rachel Maddow more than you're listening to Jesus. I'm just going for it this morning. I don't. Some of you are listening to Anderson Cooper more than you're listening to Jesus. Some of you are listening to Tucker Carlson more than you're listening to Jesus. Again, I'm going after everyone here today. Full spectrum, right? Some of you are listening to your prof. And again, I'm not saying anything good or bad about any of these people. I listen to some of these people because they can help me understand what's going on in our culture. What I am saying is that I am placing the ultimate locus of truth, not in their partial understanding of the cosmos, but in Jesus, I am taking ultimate truth and placing it in the words of Jesus. Are you hearing me? So, yeah, you can clap. You can clap. <laughs> Some of you aren't. That's all right. Um, I'm a big boy. I'm not offended. But one non-negotiable for following Jesus. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear in John chapter 8, verse 31, that you cannot be a follower of Jesus if you don't do this one non-negotiable thing, and it's this, you have to abide in the words of Jesus. Jesus said, you are truly my disciple if you abide in my words. The opposite is true. If you don't abide in my words, you cannot be my disciple. I'm so glad you came here on a Sunday morning to listen to me preach and to be a part of this wonderful family that we have called Capital Church. And I'm so glad that we can meet over and over and over again, that we have the freedom to come and worship God and experience his presence. Isn't that amazing? However, there are some of you, and I'm saying this because I just, I, I want to I pastor us. This is for all of us. I'm saying this because I think some of us are listening to other words and allowing our lives to be shaped by those other words over against the words in the teaching of Jesus. Abide in my words. Literally, it means abide in my teaching. 
So we need to qualify that. What, is, what does abide mean? Abide simply means to remain. It means to settle down. It means to make your home in something. To make your, think about that, how evocative that is. Make your home in the teaching of Jesus. That, that, that should be the organizing principle of your life. The words of Jesus. And that should influence your politics because politics are important. That should influence uh, economics because economics is important. That should influence every aspect of your life, what you do with your money, what you, everything, right? God's word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is inspired, breathed out by God and is able to equip you to be a fully mature human being. Amen? So here's the thing. If we're going to abide in the words of Jesus, we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to slow down. You can't rush through life. Everyone take a deep breath right now. Do it. Some of you just got to take a deep breath because you are just rushing through life and always on the go. And if we're serious about abiding in the words of Jesus, we're going to have to be serious about slowing down so we can hear God's voice. Some of you cannot hear the truth. Some of you cannot hear God's voice because you're just rushing through life. You're not slowing down. And so you're, you're not sensitized to the voice of God, when you're just always on, you're not going to have the capacity to hear what God wants you to do and what he's speaking to you and the blessing that he wants to announce over your life. So how do we, how do we slow down? How do we abide in the truth? And I've been talking about this for some time. It's just really simple. We got to read chunks of scripture. We got to get good teaching and we got to listen to good teaching. Some of you, you, you need to change your app, your podcast appetite. Get some good preaching and good teaching. I can help you out with that. If you need help, I will help you. Here's five good, po- good podcasts. Actually, this week on Wednesday, I can post it for all you guys, if that's what you want. Five good podcasts that you can listen to that would help you. Some of us, we need good theology. Good theology. I can give you five books that can help you. Primer books. I can give you intermediate level. I can give you... Um, Uh, just the beginning level. I can give you advanced level of just books on theology. Some of us just need good theology. Do you know what changed my life? You know what changed my life? It wasn't sociology. And those are, I've read tons of sociology and sociology is great. What changed my life was not archaeology and I love archaeology. What changed my life was two things, reading chunks of scripture. I said this last week and just giving myself to theology. Like devotion, let me, how do I say this? Devotional, I feel like my father, like he just says whatever he, he wants to say. So I'm just going to go with it, okay? This is a moment where I'm going to say everything I've always wanted to say to you. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I just think that so many times we, devotionals are so amazing, but they're so insufficient. I'm sorry, a devotional is so good. And sometimes we need that and that's great. You do that, okay? 
But what I have found in my life, which changed me, is the juxtaposition of reading chunks of scripture and then immersing myself in really good theology. It expands my imagination. I see things like I've never seen before. I see the incredible love of God. I see how things just connect in scripture. And it's funny, some of you are like, well, how does that relate to my life? Well, it changed everything in my life. When I see who God is, it changes how I relate to myself, how I relate to God, how I relate to others. It's the very thing that set me free from depression in my younger years and anxiety. It's the very thing that helps me understand how to relate to so many different difficult situations. We need God's word and we need to learn to abide in it by slowing down. Can I get an amen? If you want to build a life around... Jesus' vision of human flourishing, it will take time. It will take time. It will take time. If you want to work out, let's say you're 150 pounds and you want to get up to 210, it's going to take a long time for you to get there, right? You got to do a lot of protein shakes. You got to go to Jack City and you got to work out every single day. It's going to take time. It's going to take time to fully absorb all that God wants to speak to you. And we could be okay with that, okay? So abiding in the word of God is a non-negotiable when it comes to being a person of truth. Number two, it takes a community to abide in truth. It takes a community to abide in, to abide in the truth. Every passage that we read in the book of John um, addresses not a disciple, but the disciples, It takes, in other words, a community. Jesus wants a community of people organized around the truth in order for those people, in other words, to become people of truth. Let me just say this really quick. There are a thousand reasons why we shouldn't come to church today. Can I get any man to that? There's a thousand different reasons. Like you're tired, right? I mentioned before, there are days where I don't even want to come and preach, right? There's so many excuses and justifications for not coming to church or not get really get involved in church. Like you don't want to see that person. Uh, they didn't sing your song the last three weeks. Um, they're not preaching your sermon series. Um, they always talk about giving and you just think that they're just hypocrites or, I mean, I could go on and on and on, or you've been contending for your miracle over the last three, three weeks and it hasn't happened. So you're not going to go to church for two weeks. You're going to wait for the pastor to call you. And if the pastor calls you, then you'll stay. But if he doesn't call you, you're out of here. Right. And you're going to another church. I'm just saying whatever's coming to my mind, guys. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of reasons why we shouldn't come to church. If you're sick, don't come to church. But other than that, okay? There's one big reason why you should come to church and get more involved. Because it forces you out of yourself so you and I, including myself, can focus on God and others. And by doing so, We become open or our lives are opened up to God's truth and God's grace and God's love. I love one of my favorite definitions of the church. It's it's from kind of the secular world. This is um, a recovering alcoholic once explained to his friend that he regularly goes to AA meetings. And this is what he says. I know for sure that if I don't go to these meetings regularly, I'll begin to drink again. 
And he goes, it's funny. The meetings are always the same. The same things get said over and over and over again. Everything is totally predictable. I know everything that will be said. Everyone coming there knows it too. Also, I don't go to those meetings to be a nice person. I go to those meetings to be alive. I go there because if I didn't, I would eventually destroy myself. What he's saying, I think, is just a a basic truth about our relationship with God is that community is absolutely essential for life. Can I get an amen? He doesn't say it here, but the bigger issue is when we come together, everyone say come together. We are, man, we are a diverse group of people, right? And we start to hear diverse stories and we, we start to get then different perspectives because some of you, man, you, you just, some of you are extroverts and introverts. Some of you are philosophers. Some of you are not. Some of you, you like the San Francisco 49ers. We're still trying to figure you out, right? Uh, some of you are cowboy fans. Some of you, I mean, you have your quirks and different personalities. And some of you grew up in the, you know, on the wrong side of the track. Some of you grew up on the right side of the track. Some of you grew up in a functional family. Some of you grew up in a dysfunctional family, right? Some of you have a very unique perspective because of maybe the, the geographic place that you came from, or maybe your, your own ethnicity. Like we all have different perspectives. That's why we come to church so we can talk through things with humility. Church forces us out of ourself. Come on. And it forces us to put our attention on God and not only on God, but it forces us to realize that you and I are not the center of the universe. And there are unlovable people and there's some weird people in church and some crazy people in church. And we have Larry's and we have Randy's and we have Chris and we have Susan's and we have Joel's who are the least safe person in the world, right? We have all this, we have this beautiful diversity of people and God designed it that way because he wants to teach us how to love each other and how to listen to each other and how to hear different perspectives. This is why it takes a community to abide in the truth. Now, some of us are wrong here today, but you need to be in church. Some of us are right, and some of you just need a little more humility. So this is not a question of, like, we just let everything go, right? When it comes to church, we need to walk in humility. As we walk in humility, and we, we understand that Jesus addresses a community, not just a lone person, monad, monad or lone ranger. That is when we understand the dynamics of truth. Number three, as, as I close here, it is a spirit that leads us into truth. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 15, 26 says, when the helper comes, the spirit of truth, he will bear witness. So what does that helper mean? Well, in the original language, it it is translated paraclete. And it literally means to come alongside of. If you read a lot of different translations, which I recommend when you study the Bible, Uh, Some will translate the paraclete as helper, some counselor, some advocate, uh, and it's an elastic word. But I think the best definition is just a literal translation of one who comes alongside of. See, this is good news. This is good news because this, this is how God's truth comes to us. This is how it works, okay, as I, as I close here. When you're praying, 
when you're reading scripture, when you're wrestling with tough questions, when you're doing community together, when you're studying the Bible, you are not starting from scratch. You are not, in the words of Drake, at the bottom and now you're finally at the top. Right? right. It, 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 we don't practice induction. Induction. Basically, that simply means we reason our way up into truth or reason our way up to God. The good news, as we're praying, as we're worshiping, as we're studying, again, doing life with other people, it's the Holy Spirit who opens up our mind and heart to his reality, to his grace, to his truth, to his wisdom, to his life, to his peace. Three non-negotiables. If we want to become people of truth, we have to learn to abide in God's word, in his teaching. Number two, we have to learn to do community together. And number three, this is, man, this is a, should be a confidence boost for all of us. We don't start from scratch. The Holy Spirit will come as we just respond to God's love in prayer and reading his word. He will come and lead us into the truth of God's word. Finally, number four, we find this in John chapter 17. I want to read this. We'll close and I'll pray. John says this about Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples and Jesus says, I have given them your word and the, wor the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So number four, here's the result of being a truth person. And it takes time as you abide in the words of Jesus as you do community and commit yourself to, to a diverse body of people, as you spend time in prayer and open your heart up to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead you into his wisdom. What you begin to realize, and Jesus tells us this, that truth sanctifies you. So what does that mean? What does sanctify mean? Well, sanctify does not mean, many of us kind of caricature this word as, oh, it means I can't do cocaine anymore can't go to Vegas, do cocaine, right? Or I can't get involved in, you know, a romantic relationship with a bad dude. You know, that's kind of my proclivity or whatever it is, right? And all those, don't do cocaine, okay? <laughs> don't go to Vegas and do cocaine and get in bad relationships, all right? So that's a, an entirely different concept. We'll talk about that later. But sanctify here is not what, that, that's not what Jesus is implying. Truth sanctifies you is not, oh, don't do bad stuff, truth that sanctifies us, according to Jesus, is that which sets us apart for God's special purpose. Like vessels in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a sacred place. I want to say that again. Truth that sanctifies us is when God, through his word, sets us apart for God's special purpose or God's special use, like vessels in the tabernacle, which is a sacred space. To be sanctified means that God makes you sacred. To be sanctified means that God gives you purpose on an existential level. Here's the thing. I'm realizing more and more in the church, many don't know what to do. Many people have a big heart for God. They want to build for the kingdom of God, but they don't know how to do that. 
They don't know how to serve God. They don't know where their place is. They don't know on an existential level what their purpose is. They don't know how to get involved. They don't know how to belong. They're confused about their identity, right? I could go on and on and on. Even some people are trying to like figure out big decisions. How am I going to figure out what to do with this particular situation in my life? And they're just flummoxed and they just, their logic isn't enough to figure out a very tricky situation. Here's the thing. Jesus says, it's his truth as you abide in the truth that sanctifies you, that sets you apart. In other words, it's truth that gives you purpose. It's truth that opens your mind and heart to why you are sucking oxygen here on earth right now. It's truth that shows you the wisdom that you need when you're facing a big and hard or difficult decision in life. God's truth, God's truth sanctifies you. Yes, I'm glad you have wisdom. And yes, I'm glad you have experience. And I'm glad you have logic. Thank God you have that. And yes, God gives us freedom to make decisions on our own. But ultimately, when it comes to it, we need God's truth because it's his truth that opens us up to what we were called to do before we were even born. And that's what I want for you today. As your pastor, I want everyone in this room to know deep down in their bones what they're called to do right now. Like some of you are just frustrated because you're just floating around, just you're doing good things, you're showing up on Sunday, you're lifting your hands, you're worshiping, but you know there's something more. Guess what? It's truth that will open up the doors to what that something more is. It's truth that shows you this is how you can really become a part of what, what we're doing here in the church. Thank God we have good pastors and thank God we have good volunteers that can help you with that as well. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that plants destiny and his future in your heart and shows you, shows you that you were called for such a time as this, that you're not an accident, that who you are matters right now. And here's the thing, truth is a formative power that changes us. It says we abide in the truth. As we do life together with with people who um, are different from us, we learn to love, we learn to focus our attention on God who is the embodiment of truth, right? We start to understand as we do that, as the Holy Spirit helps us, what God has called us to do. And then we start to live out God's purpose. We are, guys, we're floundering in the void. So many people are floundering in the void in our culture because they're listening to lies rather than to God's truth. Some of you have embraced a lie about yourself that does not come from God and you're floundering today. Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus wants to frame his story, not a a story that is framed around lies, but his story, which is framed around truth. He wants to impart that to you. Can I get an amen, church? Like your story is not, I'm always going to be an alcoholic. Your story is not, I'm always going to be addicted to pornographic images. Your story is not, oh, I'm always going to be such and such or this or that. I'm going to be defined by this anxiety or this depression or this mental health problem. Or I'm always going to go from place to place to place. I'm always going to be restless. I'm always going to have this sense that I can never find what I'm looking for, right? That's not 
your story. The story that God has given you is that you serve a good shepherd who will lead you. Come on, somebody who will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. And you don't even have to fear any evil for he is with you. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the vine. Come on. He is the new creation. He's the one who reconciles. He's the one that makes all things new. He's the one that creates a Genesis week out of the chaos of your life. He's the one that heals your bodies. He's the one that heals your mind. He's the one that changes your life. He's the one that changes your story. He's the one that sets you free from your self-loathing. He's the one that sets you free from that, that inescapable sense that you've done too much in your past and that you can't be used by God. He's the one that sets you free when you don't think you have a future and all you see in your future is death and despair. It is Jesus through his truth that sets us free. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the arbiter of truth. He's the embodiment of truth. Through him, all things exist. I'm just going to stand here and look at you awkwardly until I get a really good Pentecostal hand clap. Not yet, not yet. He is the one. He is in these last days, according to Hebrews chapter one, the son whom God has spoken through, whom all things exist. He is the exact imprint, the exact radiance of the glory of God through his word holds the entire universe together. That is why we're here. That's why we're listening to messages. That's why we lift our hands in worship. That's why we are committed to community is because Jesus is the embodiment of truth. I want us to, man, 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 I just feel this because over the next five years, it's gonna get crazy. I mean, you think it's crazy right now. It's always been crazy, guys. 2,000 years ago, it was crazy, right? But I think we're getting a little bit more crazy. And man, I, things are gonna get more, how do I say this? It's gonna get more weird, right? But as Christians, we have a responsibility to become people of truth. And my prayer over us today, I'm gonna to pray for us right now that we would be a community shaped around the truth of God's word. And then that we would reflect that truth back out to our world. And that truth is not like the naked facts, right? That truth isn't, a, we're gonna bludgeon you over the head or we're gonna turn into Bible thumpers or whatever. That truth is the truth of a gracious God who gave his life for the world. who forgives us of our sins, who heals us of our diseases, who sets us free from our enslavement to the, to the inferior things, and then gives us a future, right? And shows us exactly what he wants us to do. I'm telling you, no self-help book can give you what Jesus can give you. Amen. I didn't realize it's 1240. All right, bow your heads, close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. As your eyes are closed, I want to make it very clear. I'm not against psychology and so sociology. I believe all truth is God's truth. 
insofar as a psychologist who might not even be a Christian lines up with what we find in scripture, man, that's, that's God's truth, right? So we're not in any way downplaying counseling. Counseling is so essential. Amen, church. Like we need good counselors. We need good doctors. We need good sociologists. We need good experts, scholars. That's so important. But ultimately, ultimately, truth is found in Jesus. As your eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I want to pray now. Father, I just ask, can you take your hand and put it on your heart? I just ask that today, as a community, that you would take our lives, our minds, and our hearts, and you would turn us into truth people. I thank you, you would give us a new heart. Lord, our desires would be shaped around a fresh commitment to abide in your words. Holy Spirit, we need your grace. And I just thank you that your grace would, and your love and your truth and your peace would just shower over every son and daughter in this room. Lord, I thank you it's your truth that sets us free from every existential thing that we face. It's your truth that helps us negotiate the lies in this world. It's your truth that gives us wisdom and purpose. It's your truth that sets us free from all the dehumanizing habits that we struggle with day in and day out. We want to become people of truth. And I just thank you, Father, that you would fill our hearts today with your truth and your grace and your love. In your name we pray. As your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed. I gotta do this really quick. I wanna pray for those who you say, Chris, I am struggling with purpose. It could, it could even be just even on a practical level. I have a big decision to make this week or the next few weeks. I need God's wisdom and I cannot figure out how to do this particular thing. If you're in need, you're like, I, I'm trying to figure out my purpose. I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I build for God's kingdom? How do, what does God want me to do right now? If that's you, on the count of three, I just want to pray for you really quick. One, two, three. Anyone like that? Raise your hand. You want me to pray for you? Okay, all over the place. Keep your hands raised so I can just see. I just want to span. So about a third of you. Awesome. All right, put your hands down. If you raise your hand, put it on your heart right now. Father, I just thank you. You know exactly where every son, son and daughter is. Lord, you know their heart. I just ask you would come. This is not a magical prayer. This is a prayer from the Holy Spirit. I pray right now that you would come and that you would fill every heart and mind with your wisdom, that you would give fresh purpose. You would fill every heart and mind, every son and daughter with the truth your grace, the truth of who you are, that you begin to speak to them about what you've called them to do in this hour and in this day. Lord, that there's some of you, you just, you're, you're trying to find your place in life. I, I just thank you that you begin to lead your people into, into seeing, into, into the revelation of the place that you have put them in. Lord, I think all the different questions that we have that I can't pray over, Lord, I just thank you that you would just crystallize in their own heart who they are in King Jesus today. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. This is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to stand. We're gonna have our word as we close. We usually end with like a loud song. 
which is great. But today we're going to do the opposite. We're going to, can, can, can we just do two minutes? And what I like all of us to do is to just abide for two minutes, okay? So we're going to stand and the worship team is going to lead us into a song. But if this is your church, could you just raise your hand? If this is not your church, you don't have to do this. I don't want to force anybody to do this. As you raise your hands, I want you to close your eyes. We're going to spend now two minutes and we're just going to abide, okay? This might be a little bit awkward, but I'm okay with awkward, okay? But we're just going to open our hearts now to King Jesus and to his voice. We need to slow down. We need to be patient. We need to open our hearts to whatever God is saying to us today. So that's what we, that's what we do. Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you. We thank you, Father, for bringing your truth to us. Thank you for bringing your word to our hearts. Teach us as a community to abide in your words and in your presence. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give to